This episode of Caustic Soda is brought to you by Cthulhu Palooza. No kidding, for reals. Check it out, CthulhuPalooza.com, February 18th, 2011, Vancouver, B.C. Featuring the darkest of the hillside thickets, Miskatonic Middle School PTA Bake Sale, Lovecraftian Burlesque, Lovecraftian Short Films, and much more. That's CthulhuPalooza.com. This frozen head sculpture is from the artist's zero-G period. I'm Joe Fulgham. Phlebotomy! Phlebotomy! I'm Torn Atkinson. Hey, look, honey, it's the clotting cascade. We can see it out the window over our capillary bed. Now that's a honeymoon. I'm Kevin Leeson. And that could be fatal. I'm Dr. Rob Tarswell. Welcome to Caustic Soda. It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay! It's time to set the mics up. It's time for Tales of Woe. It's time to take the red pill on the Caustic Soda Show. It's time to do our research, unless your name is Joe. It's time to load the wiki on the Caustic Soda Show. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you Dr. Rob Tarswell! But now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational, strapped in for the Caustic Soda Show! Blood. It's a need to give. <laughs> Precious blood. So we all know what blood is, right? So things besides hatred that's sp- coursing through my veins. <laughs> Besi- besides hatred. Not much space for it, though. Yeah. But if we had a specialist who could uh, describe oh, it uh, medically and scientifically to us, then that would be great. It would be. Do we have one? Lo and behold. Oh, it's Dr. Rob in Dr. studio. Dr. Rob is here. Back for the four, Pete. What other episodes have you been here for, Dr. Rob? It was radioactive. Radiation. Radiation. Jehovah. Uh, Jehovah. And uh, psychotherapy. 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 Oh, yeah. One of my personal favorites. What, what is it? blood? Well, blood uh, is something that everyone has. All, all mammals certainly have it, and lots of uh, animal creatures have it. About there's about six liters of it in an adult human. Mm. It's composed of cells, plasma, plasma proteins, and there are three basic cell lines. You've got um, erythrocytes or red blood cells, which are oxygen carriers, and then white. That's blood important. Cells. That's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could try stopping breathing for a while, see how that goes. Yeah, you'd probably start again and go, "Oh my God, I'm glad I'm breathing again." That I've tried that, actually. <laughs> White blood cells, which are essentially your immune system, and there's many lines of those, T-cells, B-cells, and a host of other friendly uh, It goes from T to guys. B. That's, that doesn't seem logical to go from T to B. T-cells uh, are so-called because they are primed in an organ called the thymus, which is in you as a remnant as an adult, but it's more Oh, so T stands for thymus. Thymus. T stands for thymus, right. Not, not, it doesn't yeah. go A, B, C, D. You don't have all those cells in your blood. There's, no, there's no. no cell report. There's no, no A cell, B cell, C cell. <laughs> well, there are cell. B, yeah. Well, but we they're not get... like they're not like batteries. Okay. And then finally, the third broad line are the little tiny platelets, which are responsible for clotting. I have a question yeah. about blood. You have red blood in your veins. Is that how it works? Oh, Part- you're, okay. Arteries. So you're thinking about uh, I'm, the question I'm going to ask yeah. is: 
Red uh, blood, blue blood? Red blood, blue blood. Yeah. Okay. What's the deal with that? Is essentially the difference between oxygenated hemoglobin and deoxygenated hemoglobin. It's the difference between Princess Diana and me. That too. That might be no blood. <laughs> and when hemoglobin is carrying oxygen, it changes its shape slightly, so it has different reflective properties. And so it actually is a little bit redder. Okay. And that's in the arterial side. And then the, the blue, so-called blue blood, is really just dark red blood. And that's in the venous side once it's heading back to the heart and has already delivered its um, oxygen, picked up carbon dioxide. And, uh, so it's not actually blue. It's not actually blue. But your veins are kind of blue. Your veins are kind of blue, but that has a lot to do with the tissue properties of the veins themselves transmitting oh, light. Oh, see, I was kind of under the impression that I, the, that blood was only red because of the oxygen. If you were like got your hand chopped off in a vacuum, it would go some blue. blue blood would come out and some red blood would come out. That'd be fantastic if that happened. It but. is a little bluer. Like, it is bluer. You can actually see, I've got a shot, we'll put it up, of uh, some venous blood in a blood bag. And it venous looks blood? Venous, meaning it's from the vein. Oh. That was from Venus. <laughs> it's more The planet. <laughs> oh, my God. And the way that I remember uh, the difference between arteries and veins is always the easy mnemonic. Artery starts with A, which stands for away. So away from the heart is the artery, and that's the oxygenated blood. Great That's a lot of steps biology. to get to that point. That's a lot of mnemonics. Artery away. Is yeah, but then step. you got to remember that that's the one that's red because it's got the oxygen. No, it's in blue. It. No, it's red. No, it's blue. <laughs> <laughs> See? Oh, I that didn't you. work. Damn it. Now I have to use actual smarts to try and remember. <laughs> exactly. Uh, is there anything else interesting you can tell us about blood before we get into the disorders of the blood? This is the well known hemophilia of the royal family. Oh, yeah. But maybe we're heading into disorders already. That's fine. But actually, when you get your blood taken, how much do you get taken out usually? Usually about um, roughly equivalent of a pint or maybe as much as a liter. Okay. So that's like a sixth of so the, of the blood sixth. in your body. Yeah. And that's you know, just a little woozy and you eat a cookie and you're fine. Right. Also uh, makes you a pretty uh, cheap drunk that night. I do. I, I do. You know. always get your blood drawn before you go out to party. Can he? Can he be used to do that with his uh, with his his uh, fraternity buddies? They would all go down and be good little gentlemen and donate their blood, and then they'd go to Dollar Beer Night and have two beers and get completely <laughs> hammered. Oh, good idea. So they're like for the alcoholic on a budget. Hey, helps, Why aren't the homeless giving blood all the time? The other thing to remember, though, is that you are about sixty to seventy percent water by mass. So if you are Say, just to make it easy, if you're a 100-kilogram person, that's about 70 kilograms or 70 liters of fluid in you. So the blood itself is actually only about 10% of the entire fluid volume in you that's in your cells, mm. washing around between your cells. So if you give a liter of blood, what happens rapidly is some of the extracellular fluid just equilibrates back into the vascular space so that you don't have to find your heart just suddenly pumping like crazy oh, okay. with a low reservoir to kind of keep you uh, from falling mm. down Hydraulics. and fainting. So it becomes more... More dilute, though, because yeah. you don't actually have the red blood cells until you've regenerated those. Right, right. Okay. And then your uh, body is able to do things like um, there's, there's quite a lot of blood just hanging around in your liver or in your spleen. Or booze, as the case may be. And uh, your body has ways of getting that back out, so recruiting that supply to mm -hmm. come back into central circulation. So um, oh, it's your backup blood. Backup blood. Mm -hmm. And then nice. your marrow kicks into overdrive, making new, uh, new cells to make up for the lost one-sixth of the cells. So, yes. Torn, do you have the, uh, the word origin for blood? Blood is pre-Germanic, meaning to swell, gush, or spurt, or that which bursts out. Blood, B-L-O-D, blowdown, B-L-O-D-A-M. And I think we talked about the, uh, the phobia before. Hemophobia? Fear of blood. I used to have that a little bit when I was younger. I didn't, uh, I was not a fan of seeing blood. 
actually, uh, when I was in high school. Your even. own or anyone's? Uh, anyone's. You know, you'd tur- turn the channel and you would see the on you know PBS there'd be an, an open heart surgery, and I would just get grossed out and have to change it. I'd like literally forced myself to get away from that disgust and just started watching it without flipping, and now it's fine. I had a friend of mine whose dad was a doctor, and so he rec- recounted a story one time where he. Well, you know, in that 10 to 12 year old range where you're starting to think about what you're going to do mm-hmm. for your living. He's like, well, my dad's a doctor. I think it'd be cool to be a doctor. And then he discovered that when he sees blood, he faints. <laughs> so, Occupational hazard. The yeah, fainting sure. doctor. Yeah, it never yeah. got that bad. <laughs> the fainting doctor. It's like the flying nun. <laughs> it certainly is not uncommon to hear about people when they see blood, they faint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that a, like a physiological thing or is that a psychological thing? Like how does that work? Like what is it that about blood that makes people faint? It's got to be psychological. Yeah, it's um, well partly psychological, but if you think about it, the reason you faint is because your blood pressure drops, mm-hmm. right? And it's not a bad defense if you take a bad wound for your blood pressure to drop so you don't suddenly go exsanguinate through that wound or <laughs> bleed out. You don't turn or, into an anime character. <laughs> With a fire hose of blood. Right. <laughs> you don't turn into that guy from the uh, first Kill Bill movie who had that like three-minute <laughs> fountain of blood coming from his stump where his head used to be. Yeah. If only he'd fainted, that would be no problem. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be okay, right? Get his head. <laughs> Make sure he faints. Put it on, put it on ice. You pick up the head. I think he fainted. His eyes are closed. Breathing is so shallow. <laughs> Uh, anyways, you were saying. Right. So that's <laughs> so a good defense mechanism. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good survival response. Yeah, actually. Dr. Rob, I don't know if you're familiar of... with the format of this show. We go off on tangents. You yeah. need to just jump right back in with okay. the point you were originally making. Right, right. So um, <laughs> it's a, sort of too much of a good thing. Somebody has a blood injection injury phobia. That's sort of the broad term for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Joe described, the treatment is exposure. If you um, yeah. faint when you see blood, you should head on down to the Red Cross and help out for a day. Yeah. Or just take a bath in blood if you can. It didn't take me very long. It's like Elizabeth Bathory. <laughs> didn't take very long. I just started watching, you know, drinking science blood. shows, and that was later. The drinking <laughs> blood. I, d- I don't do that to uh, to get over the fear of it. That's just for fun. You just need your iron. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, what is a phlebotomy? Well, phlebotomy is removal of blood. Actually, one of the terms for somebody in the hospital that comes around and does all the, the blood testing is a phlebotomist. <laughs> they take out your phleb, which your, I think might be Latin or Greek. Your phlebos. Yeah. Yes, uh, hemo is Greek uh, for blood. Uh, so let's talk about hemophilia. All right. Well, hemophilia is, is a, a series, a group of disorders. Here's what I want to know. How come hemophilia doesn't mean like people who get turned on by blood? Because you got the philia, which is usually like necrophilia and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all the, how come hemophilia is, is, the, is a bad thing? It's a condition. Right. How come it's not just like, oh, the side of blood, boner, doing, 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 doing. Good question. Yeah, like, why isn't the opposite of that buddy of mine who fainted at the sight of blood? That is a good question, and I don't have an answer. Oh. But I can tell you that hemophilia, at least uh, in the improper use that we use in medicine, <laughs> yes. is uh, basically a clotting problem. And uh, there, there are all kinds of uh, uh, hemophilias because, the, as you might imagine, the system in your blood that uh, clots is fairly complex thing. And uh, it happens to be a genetically carried disease, which is why it's so prevalent within the royal family, particularly uh, 100 years ago, given the tendency for the... Inbreeding. Yeah, the, the Russian cousin to marry the English cousin. To, yeah. you know, there's not just so much royalty to go around. So what happens when you, you your blood your blood doesn't clot properly? You just bleed and die? You bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed, yeah. yeah. Wow. 
and you can that can actually even happen if it's a severe type of hemophilia. It can even happen from a bruise because you can bleed internally. Oh my god! Mm. It does become a huge, gross blister full of blood. Like, yeah, that's, ex- that's a bruise point. It's what oh. we'd call an expanding hematoma, which would be just blood tracking through the compartments of your your muscles and uh. fat. And there must be drugs for that. Well, some kinds of hemophilia are treated with transfusions to give you the factors, the proteins that are missing, oh. so you can complete the clotting cascade. From a phlebotomist? The no. clotting cascade. No. That sounds like it That's should a be a good thing. It's a very good thing. It's the thing that keeps you from bleeding to death whenever you bump your leg or uh, get a cut. Sounds like something people might go see at like Niagara Falls or something. <laughs> or ride at Six Flags. <laughs> Wee! It's blood splashing everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the vampire theme park? Yeah, that's right. And then polycythemia vera? Have you heard of this one? Yeah, that's another too much of a good thing problem. So polycythemia is when essentially your marrow kind of goes crazy and makes too many cells, typically uh, red cells, which is the rubric polycythemia. So poly meaning many, cythemia meaning growth of cells, rubra meaning red. And um, people can have lots and lots and lots of red cells excessive white cells, excessive platelets, and they're actually treated by bloodletting. What? Well, yeah. We still too, do that? You got too much blood? You get well, your, yeah. Paul, yeah, you get your uh, phlebotomist in there get your <laughs> and well, have a party. All right. Well, what happens if you have too much blood? Like, what's the side effect of it? Like, do you, get, like, do you bloat? Do you become like a blood balloon? Well, you still have your six <laughs> liters, but it's really highly concentrated. So mm-hmm. you can end up with sludging. You can end up with strokes. Oh, no. um, yeah, internal clotting. So you got like the Everclear of blood. The Everclear of blood. And uh, you can end up with too much iron, which can deposit into your liver, causing problems, into your brain, mm-hmm. causing problems. And you've just got to get the blood out. Highly concentrated blood. Highly concentrated. So it's the opposite of what you're saying when, when you give the blood in that your body brings back more fluid in and you, but you become more dilute this is less dilute it's more it's full super of all thick. The, the blood bits in the blood is fluid. thicker than regular blood so if a vampire were to bite one of these <laughs> people like they would full, like OD yeah. be like an amazing steak it would actually work <laughs> well never, for both of them other than the vampiric transformation <laughs> yeah that'd be that'd be a really good relationship to get into you a little, know, that, that's one of those positive parasite uh, to call back to that's our right. parasite episode <laughs> A rare but classic symptom of polycythemia vera is erythromelalgia. This is a sudden severe burning pain in the hands or feet, usually accompanied by a reddish or bluish coloration of the skin. So what's happening there, uh, when you see like a, a red coloration, that's normally from, or often is from an expansion in the capillary beds or the arterioles, which are the, the, the rate-controlling uh, vessels that have muscle around them. I think I heard of a capillary bed. That's the one, the really expensive Swedish one, right? That's the one, yeah. But it's unpleasant. It would be excruciating, yeah. Speaking of bloodletting. Well, we're, you know, get into uh, blood in history. Blood in history. The new segment on Caustic Soda. (laughs) I have some information here on Alexander Alexandrovich Bogdanov. Bogdanov. In 1924, Bogdanov started his blood trend. This is 1924. Bogdanov started his blood transfusion experiments, apparently hoping to achieve eternal youth or at least partial rejuvenation. And after undergoing 11 blood transfusions, he remarked with satisfaction on the improvement of his eyesight, suspension of balding, and other positive symptoms. The fellow revolutionary Leonid Krasin wrote to his wife that Bogdanov seems to have become seven, no, ten years younger after the operation. 1926, Bogdanov founded the Institute for Hematology and Blood Transfusions, which was later named after him. But a later transfusion cost him his life. 
What happened? This uh, a transfusion gone wrong? He took the blood of a student suffering from malaria and tuberculosis. <laughs> oh, why would he do such a thing? <laughs> that was a bad double whammy. You think after studying the blood for his entire adult life, he would have learned perhaps not to take diseased right. blood? But this seems to be a guy who doesn't understand the placebo effect. <laughs> I've taken a whole bunch of transfusions. I feel younger. Well, interestingly enough, some scholars have speculated that his death may have been a suicide because Bogdanov wrote a highly nervous political letter shortly beforehand, uh, beforehand while others oh. attribute it to blood type incompatibility, which was poorly understood at the time. So, like, when, were, when did blood transfusions really start? There's some records of blood transfusion that I'm aware of going back, I think, mid-18th century. And uh, there was some, you know, back in the crackpot days, there was some, you know... Uh, somebody who took the blood of a sheep and uh, transfused it into an injured child. Would that, mm. What would and that do? And then they do? became an unholy sheep child. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty gross, isn't it? Well, like, uh, if you took animal blood and injected it into yourself, what, I mean, what would that, that would be a blood incompatibility, incompatibility problem? Uh, pretty you... major, yeah, incompatibility, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you could get... Even if it was uh, from a chimp? Our closest relatives? Our closest relatives, yeah, yeah. I don't know much about chimp blood per se, but I mean, there's a pretty good chance if I gave you a transfusion of my blood, you'd have a pretty massive transfusion reaction. Unless we just happen to be the same type. And then what would happen? My body would explode. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. I want to know, because like, you know, you always hear about, oh, you don't want to, you got to have the right type and blah, blah, blah. So you'd have an immediate, uh, massive immune response to the blood. Because your blood would be trying to, you'd, it would see it as uh, an, invader. An, an invader right. trying yeah. to Except destroy it. it's invading it. everywhere. So yeah. these cells in you called mast cells would all be discharging histamine. Your blood pressure would drop dramatically. It'd very likely be fatal. I'm amazed that guy survived uh, 11. 11 transfusions yeah. and cured his baldness. <laughs> <laughs> I also am amazed. So histamine meaning it's basically like a big allergic reaction? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's the one that uh, sort of makes your capillaries uh, leaky so that uh, immune response, immune cells can easily pass through and uh, okay. chemicals as part of the immune cascade. You'd have that happening all over your body and you'd probably get what we call um, diffuse intravascular coagulopathy, meaning that what? the clotting cascade starts in your entire blood system. Your blood goes to porridge, your blood pressure drops. Oh, it's a real blood. Oh, man, that, where the clotting cascade and the capillary bed collide. <laughs> it's a uh, real... You know, when you have a leaky capillary bed, that used to happen in the 70s all the time. And then you have a big bowl of porridge blood? <laughs> According to Wikipedia, the first historical attempt at a blood transfusion, uh, as described by 17th century chronicler Stefano Infesura, he related that in 1492, as Pope Innocent VIII sank into a coma... The blood of three boys was infused into the dying pontiff. <laughs> nice. <laughs> through the mouth. Oh, through the mouth. Oh. Oh. Uh, this, this goes to support the theory that all the popes are vampires. So the boys, the boys were 10 years old and had been promised, they'd been promised a ducat each. A uh, however, a ducat, that would be uh, the, a dollar. Okay. I, I don't know what the exchange I thought it was like is. a very small duck. A this, duck is, uh, this is the 1492 version of like, hey, little boy, I got a ducket <laughs> in my pocket. Isn't Daisy a ducket? All I need is your blood. <laughs> However, not only did the Pope die, but so did the three children. What? Yeah. Did they take all their blood? I, I guess they didn't understand it. Well, they got a ducket each, man. It's worth the life of a small child. <laughs> but no more. I guess they were just going to keep taking the children's blood until uh, until the Pope got better? Is that yeah. That's the, that the theory you know, they were going with? Come on, God will stop us once we get too much. When did we really begin to understand 
transfusions, blood types, and whatnot. Yeah, that that, that knowledge would have come uh, largely in the 20th century, uh, particularly with the discovery of the um, different bloodlines, which basically reflect certain proteins that are on cells that um, can provoke antibody responses. I mean, why are there so many different types of uh, blood types? Like, how come there isn't just human blood type? Type H? Yeah. For type human? For human, exactly. Or type G, for good blood. Yeah, if only if only that was the case. So we've got actually uh, four types of blood, uh, and these are, reflect the antigens within the blood. So there's A, B, O, and AB, and then those can either be positive or negative, which is something called the rhesus factor. The rhesus factor, that's the factor wherein peanut butter and chocolate have that's perfect right. combination. <laughs> One nice thing, if you have type AB blood, you are antigen-free, so you can receive anybody's blood type, and you won't have an immune response to Oh, it. you're like a superman. You're, an imu- you're a universal receiver, and if you're type O, you can, you're, you're, you can donate to anybody. So, how come, so back to the original question, how come we all don't just have ABO blood? For the same reason we don't have the same color hair, I suspect. Just genetics. genetic diversity. Oh, so some of us are better than other people. Exactly. Well, I know that's true in this room. <laughs> Let me tell you about bloodletting. The withdrawal of often considerable quantities of blood from a patient to cure or prevent illness and disease. Bloodletting was based on an ancient system of medicine in which blood and other blo- bodily fluid were considered to be humors whose proper balance maintained health. It was the most common medical practice performed by doctors from antiquity up to the late 19th century, a time span of almost 2,000 years. And you could get uh, barbers would bloodlet. Barber surgeons, yeah. Get your hair cut. I saw that movie. And get blood. Johnny Depp was really good in that movie. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Uh, bleeding a patient to health was modeled on the pro- process of menstruation. Hippocrates believed that menstruation functioned to purge women of bad humors. Those are the women who don't laugh at my jokes. <laughs> well, There's tons of them. There's tons of them. We need to bleed them all. Oh, it is bad those humors. bad humors. <laughs> there were two key concepts in this system of bloodletting. The first was that blood was created and then used up. It did not circulate, so it could stagnate in the extremities. The second was that humoral balance was the basis of illness or health, the four humors being blood, phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile, relating to the four Greek classical elements of air, water, earth, and fire. Yeah, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of hard science involved in those philosophies. No, it took medicine a while to get off the ground and actually <laughs> do stuff that actually had anything to do with reality. Yeah, it was like these were actually invented by like writers, basically. Early medicine was, uh, you know, uh, in the bailiwick of authors. It, was, it sounds to me like it was something that somebody just made up and it sort of worked. Like you could get the placebo effect by somebody exclaiming that's what it was in enough mm. cases that... Oh, I feel like I have too much yellow bile. Uh, <laughs> Not enough black bile. That's right. And, <laughs> and just gen- they would you know drain that bile or something and it, passing of time itself would make you feel better and then you would blame it on the... Uh, Harvey, who discovered the circulation of blood, actually was... Harvey the Invisible Rabbit from that uh, movie with <laughs> Jimmy Stewart? No, this was uh, one of these crazy early uh, natural philosophers who said, hey, what's actually going on inside the body? And he came up with the amazing idea that blood circulates, and this was heresy. Uh, of course, it's like the sun going around the... or the earth going around the sun. Yeah. So before yeah. him, nobody had ever taken a corpse and just followed a, a, an artery and then noticed that it went to a certain point and then looped around and... Well, the problem was that by the time you get down to the smaller arteries and the arterioles and the capillaries, those are all way below our oh. you know, ability to see without uh, microscopy. Yeah, they tried to put like a duck in your arm to see if it would move around, but it never did. So obviously okay. blood doesn't circulate. But uh, you know, Harvey noticed, hey, you know, as much blood as is leaving the heart is coming back into the other side of the heart. Hey, this stuff must circulate, right? This heart, this pumpy thing. 
this seems to be like a pump. <laughs> so <laughs> this pumpy thing. <laughs> Where all your intelligence lies. He, of course, yeah, of uh, course. in the yeah. center of your chest. Yeah. He, of course, had to recant, as, uh, as oh, was no. so often the case. Naturally. <laughs> you can't go changing how we view the world based on evidence. <laughs> and and looking back now, I mean, when you think about it, that you're, your you're heart, a witch. You're, <laughs> you're a witch. Your heart pumps tens of thousands of liters a day. Yeah. And the now preposterous notion was that that was all just being pumped out to the cells and being absorbed by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that... It was coming from God. This was the very essence. The, the, the life essence. Your heart was like a font from God. Yeah, kind of yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Harvey made that a lot less mysterious. That would, I tell you, if that was actually true, that would be so cool. That like you'd have this kind of like little portal to another plane, like right in the middle the, of your chest. The plane of blood. The plane of blood. <laughs> the elemental just, plane of blood. Yeah. Just flow through you, and then your your fingertips and toes would be little tiny miniature portals there'd back be, there'd be very few arguments about does god exist as well yeah no absolutely <laughs> it's like listen matter is being created from nothing in our hearts and then just being absorbed and disappearing into nothing oh, just think about this if you could somehow make just enough of a blood drip off of say a slave to land on a little wheel you could make it to generate use it to generate electricity because all that blood keeps coming out gets sucked out down by gravity it would hitting be the wheel, the, spinning um, it. it's a perpetual motion machine right there that's right exactly yeah. and hopefully the god of the blood dimension isn't a god of wrath although I suspect Ooh. he might be well if Hollywood's taught me anything <laughs> the blood god doesn't like Wesley Snipes I'm going to have to uh, I'm going to have to patent my idea for a hemoelectric dam <laughs> yes Love the earliest it. version of the Matrix. <laughs> BC Hemo. <laughs> I want to talk about the zero-G period. Okay. All right. Women were excluded from the U.S. space program during its early years. NASA- oh, this is totally going a different place where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> I thought we were, talking, we were going to talk about a period in time. No, no. no. We're talking about menstruation, <laughs> oh, my friend. All right. all right. NASA began planning to put women in space in the 1970s. Wait. <laughs> you thought there was a time when there was no gravity? <laughs> <laughs> no, when we discovered that there was no gravity outside of like the atmosphere or something, and I was and trying you to thought it out, had to do with blood. Well, that maybe that there was like a the philosophy me, about like, like that, that if you went to space, your blood would stop flowing or something like this. This is what I thought we were going but with. But we're okay. Yeah, go ahead, Torn. <laughs> when a woman has her period, I'm easily confused, Joe. Normally, <laughs> normally. The menstrual flow is forcefully expelled from the cervix. However, given the low gravity environment of space, sometimes some scientists wondered about the possibility of retrograde menstruation. Oh my word! The backward flow of menstrual blood up into the fallopian tubes. This occurs sometimes on Earth and is thought to lead to endometriosis. Well done. A disorder in which tissue that normally lines the uterus grows where it shouldn't. Prior to the 1983 space shuttle flight by Sally Ride, the first U.S. woman to exit our atmosphere, consultants told NASA that female astronauts should take hormones to manage their menstrual cycles Mm -hmm. to reduce flow volume and ideally avoid having a period while in space. So now we put them in one of those spinning wheels like in uh, 2001? To to keep the blood. To to keep the fake gravity so their menstrual Uh, blood can slow down? Is that what goes on? There's no evidence retrograde menstruation occurs in space. Returning women astronauts who've menstruated in space report that everything worked the way it usually does. 
This is just like when they invented cars, and they're like, you can't go over 20 miles an hour or else you won't be able to breathe. <laughs> right? This is exactly, it's like, you can't send women to space, they will bleed up into their innards. It is a good example of uh, countering that argument that science always thinks it knows everything. Like, this is mm. a, good, a good example of science yeah. going, we don't know, so let's be really careful. Astronauts have access to multiple sanitary products for menstruation, including pads, mini pads, and tampons in plain and deodorant versions. Oh, good. And presumably capillary attraction accomplishes what the lack of gravity can't. We might have predicted as much since bedridden women usually menstruate okay. Incidentally, for times when going to the bathroom is impossible for an extended period, such as launches, spacewalks, and landings, crew members of both sexes have available a maximum absorbency garment, or MAG, right, and can retain up to 2,000 milliliters of urine, blood, or feces. This comes from Cecil Adams of The Straight Dope. Also known as a D-I-A-P-E-R. <laughs> yes, that's the one that... <laughs> that's that, the one that chick wore. The crazy uh, astronaut girl... Yeah, war on her on dr- her drive to her nonstop drive to Florida right. to murder, kidnap and murder her. What's her, this? Her romantic rival. Mm-hmm. There, you was, don't there, was, this story? there was a wacky astronaut who took one of the MAGs and yeah, had and a she, road trip. Yeah, because because <laughs> she didn't want to stop at a gas station. Yeah, that would be, uh, Believe it or not, Lisa Nowak. <laughs> there was an astronaut who was boning chicks all over uh, the southern United States, and uh, he was dating one lady in in Houston, Texas, and another lady in. Like Florida, wherever there was space station and uh, space thingy in Florida, yeah. And what the one in Houston lost her mind and put on a diaper and drove all <laughs> night and day to get to Florida, where she was going to kidnap and murder her romantic rival. I'm less interested in how that panned out as to how the diaper worked. Uh, I think <laughs> uh, I think just fun. I don't. Yeah, there's no reports on how well it worked. <laughs> However, she drove nonstop and was wearing it. So right. and and I guess how long, was, how long of a trip it? is that? Like like twenty hours or something yeah, like that. Okay. Look yeah. at the stuff she had packed in her car: uh, latex gloves, a black wig, a BB pistol with ammo, pepper spray, a hooded tan trench coat, a two-pound drilling hammer, black gloves, rubber tubing, plastic garbage bags. Oh yeah, no, she was ready. cash. She was ready to dispose of a body. You cannot say that this was not premeditated. An eight-inch folding knife. Yeah. Oh, fourteen hundred kilometers. Oh, that's the kind of stuff I always have in the trunk of my car. <laughs> I always wear these diapers. <laughs> but she denied wearing a diaper vehemently. We should uh, we should uh, hold on to this story for our crazy astronaut episode. <laughs> <laughs>
in the news. November 2010. Scientists believe they can transform human skin cells into blood cells. Yeah. That right. means getting a blood transfusion as part of surgery or to treat cancer could be as simple as borrowing a patch of skin off your testicles. I mean, your, your own body. Anywhere, anywhere, <laughs> anywhere your own body. at all. Canadian that... researchers at the Stem Cell and Cancer Research Institute at McMaster University in Ontario. Canadian, have... hell yeah. Okay, a little bit of patriotism there. Yeah. Have made the major step of reprogramming human skin cells into blood cells. Their research was published in the most recent issue of Nature. Up until now, scientists have been focusing research on the conversion of embryonic stem cells into blood. But those efforts have been problematic both because it's difficult to turn the stem cells into mature cells that can be transplanted into adults and because of the controversy over the use of embryonic stem cells in research as well as their finite availability. I guess we all have skin. You know, there's uh, some of us more than others. Yeah, that'd be uh, a great thing for those people who uh, lose a lot of weight really fast and have the the loose skin folds. They could donate it. Oh yeah, here, turn this into blood. Oh, there you go. So that that's uh, that's another way that you could donate blood. Just chop off some of your skin. <laughs> the research team in Canada has found a way to bypass all these concerns by using growth factors that can reprogram skin cells into blood cells, allowing for the development of adult blood cells for immediately for immediate transplant. They successfully changed skin cells into blood cells several times over the course of two years using human skin from old as well as young patients. Huh. Clinical trials uh, should begin as soon as 2012. You know what would be super awesome? Very cool. Instead of like some sort of scientific process that it got advanced to the point where you could just instantly turn skin into blood and then you could like kill people with it. They would just turn into the blood bags. You're like, crazy. Like Dr. Manhattan does in the, uh, the Watchmen movie to oh, those yeah. Vietnamese dudes. So you just turn all their skin into blood, and they just turn into a puddle. Yeah, of innards and blood. What about the bones? Blood yeah, bones. <laughs> Isn't that where blood comes from? Dr. Yeah, yeah that's marrow right. Marrow is within your uh, within your long bones and within your uh, vertebral bodies. Long bones. Humerus, femur. <laughs> okay. Not in your knuckles. Well, not not, not much? too much marrow in there. No. Okay. Oh, there's no. just no space. What's the shortest uh, bone in the body that has marrow? The shortest bone in the body that has marrow would be a vertebral body in your spine. Wow, you thought you were going to stump him, and he just, like, judoed totally. that right back in your yeah, face. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Now that we're talking about long bones and short bones, we neglected to talk about uh, infections, blood infections, and so forth. Right, yeah. So, What do you got for us? You uh, pretty much don't ever want your blood infected, but there are particular infections that you especially don't want. One of my, What's uh, the number one top infection that I don't want in my blood? Well, you probably don't want staph aureus in your blood. Oh, com- that's a poo infection, right? Uh, no, not exactly. Staph aureus is on your uh, skin. It likes to line uh, mucosal membranes as well. And what can happen is suppose you're somebody that uh, injects recreational substances from time to time and perhaps you don't have the most meticulous technique. Mm. You can track skin organisms into the blood and staph aureus has a fondness for your heart valves where it will set up shop, grow, and basically eat your valves. Oh, no. But I need those. Valve you sure do. Valve eaters. Mm. And then what happens? Well, then you need emergency uh, valve replacement surgery, which oh, you may cool. or may not survive. That sounds serious. And then you get to spend the rest of your life on anticoagulants with uh, a mechanical valve in your heart. The rest of your life. Short, painful <clears throat> Unless we give you a porcine valve, which, yes, is from a pig. And oh. in which case you don't need anticoagulants, but their lifespan's uh, more limited. What about blood cancer? There, there are cancers that originate in the blood, and uh, those would be the leukemias and the lymphomas. Lymphoma is when primarily white cells 
or more specifically often uh, B cells, go haywire and start multiplying like crazy. Eventually they can colonize other organs in your body and, and multiply there. That's called metastases. Eventually that'll kill you. Will it be painful? Oh, yeah. There's going to be this the, sort of the general unwellness of feeling very sick. And then on top of that, if that gets into, uh, say, uh, lymphoma likes lymph nodes. So suppose it gets into lymph nodes, say, in your armpit. Yeah. And then those just start growing and growing and growing. So you get big bulges under your armpit? Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be, you could even get open sores that don't heal. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the stretching is very painful. You can't move your arm, uh. things like that. Now that could happen in your brain, right? And because, uh, of course, you got lymph nodes there too. Well, lymphoma can really, you know, end up anywhere that you have lymph nodes, which is anywhere. How many lymph, lymph nodes do we got? Oh, I don't even know if that's known. More than three. Thousands and thousands and thousands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought they were you just thought like, it was just armpits and under your chin. That's really what I thought. I thought we had like four. Four lymph nodes. Four lymph nodes, not four armpits. Yeah. Okay. One, the one, four. <laughs> yes, Maybe I Maybe during the zero-G period we had <laughs> four armpits. And what's the treatment for that? Actually, uh, let me step back a bit because sure. one of the treatments for polycythemia actually is uh, phosphorus 32, which is a beta emitter, and we'll inject that intravenously, and then the phosphorus equilibrates through your blood, emitting beta particles, which, as we recall from the radiation episode, are high-speed electrons, and they just act like little baseballs in um, in a china shop, just smashing the hell out of the uh-huh. cells, and um, that's a way of kind of getting the blood counts down. Hmm. Of course, unfortunately, one of the side effects of that could end up later being uh, blood cancer. So we kind of keep that treatment in reserve for a really bad case. This is like one of those uh, ads they have for some sort of antidepressant where they have, uh, you know, two minutes of ad and like four and a half minutes of side effects. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may experience sudden death and... Meanwhile, children are playing with their mother on a beach and stuff like that, yeah. (laughs) And you, you may experience sudden dropping off of your penis. But the treatment for uh, lymphoma, leukemia, would be typically uh, a chemotherapy, radiotherapy, so high-dose radiation from a radiation oncologist, right. especially if there's like a, say, again, you have a big mass there in the, in the, the armpit. armpit, which we call the axilla in medical speak. Axilla. <laughs> nice, spontaneous. You really can't write this stuff. And then uh, if it's too widespread, what we can do are things like take your own, harvest your own marrow out, Spin it down, clean out the lymphoma cells to the best. What of do you our mean, ability. spin it down? Like literally, spin it in a centrifuge, huh. so <laughs> that then the different densities of cells separate, and then you can sort of filter out the uh, lymphoma cells. Blast your whole body with radiation, reinject your marrow, and then you become Doctor Manhattan, or the Incredible Hulk, or Doc Samson, <laughs> or Spider Man. Only if it first gets injected into a spider. No, right. no, the spider, that's how you use the spider as the injection, that's right. uh, the ejection device. Ah. We're going to give you back your marrow. Uh, we first put it in the spider who's going to bite you. <laughs> and we radiated the spider so we don't have to radiate you. Much safer this way. Science! Side Done effects that. may include wall crawling, spidey sense, <laughs> and increased dexterity. And there's one other fun thing we could talk about a bit. Sure, let's see. Septic do. shock. Oh, septic shock. Oh, yeah. that's, that's something to do with poop, too. That's got uh, something to do with poop, right? Am certainly, it's it's more linked with anaerobic organisms for sure, uh-huh. uh, which uh, poop is full of. Yes, your poop, Kevin. Fun medical fact: your poop is half bacteria by weight. Oh wow! Think about that. Dead uh, bacteria. I don't know. If no, that not dead. No, live bacteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, that's yeah. why you're really. That's why it's really, really important to wash your hands. Yeah. I thought it was just so. It just didn't smell. <laughs> 
Septic shock is something that actually um, can actually come from uh, certain types of tampons. You remember the toxic shock syndrome back in the oh, 80s yeah, and 90s? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You end up with a with a blood infection from um, the uh, organisms that grow in those tampons, which for whatever reason were a particularly good growth medium for a particular kind of bacteria. I forget the name. Stramdachylocathus delphi. <laughs> A very wise, future-predicting nice bacteria. I, nice, I like the, the fact that there was Okilla in the middle of it, right? <laughs> the, the bacteria are able um, secreting a certain kind of toxin. And what that toxin does is, again, goes to the arterioles and makes them relax. And so what ends up happening is your blood pressure through your entire body drops down. And, uh, well, you need pressure to actually get move the blood to, to well not to move the blood but to actually you need pressure so you can get the good stuff from blood and fluids to cross cell membranes it takes hydrostatic pressure to do oh, that okay so if the hydrostatic pressure drops there's blood flowing all over the place but it's but not crossing membranes anymore nothing's being extracted from the blood right okay right and uh, you'll you'll die and your heart rate just keeps climbing and climbing to try and maintain your blood pressure but it's oh, sort of like no. your heart's pumping out a window <laughs> the the treatment is is uh, what we call inotropes or medications that force your arterioles to contract and regenerate blood pressure. It doesn't always work, and uh, especially if you catch it too late. Toxic shock syndrome or any other sort of a septic shock syndrome is fatal. All right, I got one. January 2011. An Irish court has ordered a life-saving blood transfusion for the infant of a Jehovah's Witness couple. The couple's baby boy came down with bronchitis on December 25th. Merry Christmas. And was placed in hospital the following day. The boy hey, was... Jehovah's Witness don't celebrate Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy non-denominational gift-giving season. Happy halfway out of the dark day. The boy was suffering from low hemoglobin levels, which restricts oxygen flow to the organs. The usual procedure in this situation is blood transfusion. However, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that according to the Bible, they should not ingest blood, including transfusions. Doctors decided the only way to save the boy was by transfusion, and when the parents refused, they sought and received a court order. The judge in the case decided the court's had the right to order the transfusions despite the parents' religious beliefs because the child's life was in danger. Yeah, there was a uh, Law & Order episode just like this that there were some Christian scientists. This kind of thing happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. that were trying to fight. And so, of course, uh, Jack McCoy was out there fighting for the life of the child who deserved a chance to live, and mm-hmm. then he died anyway, and so then they put the parents on for murder. And it's just really annoying, this, this ancient wisdom that maybe back then was, you know, don't eat pigs because they have diseases in them that you can catch. So, you they, just, so you'd make this general broad statement. It's the God doesn't want you to eat pigs or God doesn't want you to eat blood. 500 years ago. Back then was a good idea because, you know, there's all yeah. sorts of problems with Strict it. Strict gnosis and whatever. Yeah. Should we move on to pop culture? We have to mention the, uh, the big blood disco in the first Blade movie. The first Blade movie is the only Blade movie worth watching. Yeah. They, they've got a couple of really awesome, awesome scenes, not the least of which is the Blood Disco. Or Blood Rave, I guess. I'll yeah, the, I guess it was a Blood Rave. Uh, and it's starring Tracy Lords, of course. Oh, yeah. She's the blonde girl who lures the, uh, the non-vampire yeah. into the party. There was a plague of blood in the Book of Exodus. And the abominable Dr. Fives. I don't know if that counts as pop culture any longer, though. Hmm, all right. <laughs> But it does relate to the abominable Dr. Fives. Oh, one of my brother's favorite movies. Your God, brother, our movie. sound producer yeah. and engineer guy? Yeah, Mike Leeson, our uh, our technical guy extraordinaire, who makes this all possible, loves that movie. In fact, he owns it, and he made me watch it, and it's 
awful. Dr. Fives make, takes his inspiration from the murders from the Old Testament, the Ten Plagues of Egypt. Mike, what's the plot to the abominable Dr. Fives? The abominable Dr. Fives loses his wife uh, to a uh, car accident where a team of seven surgeons fails to save her life. And then he... He fakes his own death. Uh, and then he goes out and extracts the uh, plagues of Egypt on each of the doctors. And one of them is blood. Right, where he bottles all the guy's blood. Dr. Longstreet has all the blood drained out of his body. Now, the uh, excessive blood movies that started in the 60s are called gore movies. The first one was Blood Feast, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Before slasher picks, there were gore picks, which were, you know, the, you'd see a dead body and there'd, be a, there'd just be hordes of blood and they'd spray blood all over right. rooms. While hammers lifted and fell, and you didn't see anything else, so so that was gore movies. So. I get I get the impression from Mike's diatribe that he enjoys these movies. Yes, because the answer is yes. He <laughs> loves them, and they're all, almost entirely universally awful. Yeah, but I appreciate your work too. <laughs> and then, of course, we have uh, the shinning, the old uh, blood tidal wave out of coming the, out of the elevator. elevator yeah. The Shining is, in my personal opinion, is the scariest movie of all time. Nothing creeps me out like those little yeah. dead girls. Come play with us, Johnny. The yeah, old woman I, in the bath, the old rotting say, woman. I, I agree with you on creepy. I don't know about scary. I wasn't scared when I watched it. It was just kind of creepy and weird. I think if you're sitting in a dark room all by yourself trying to watch that at a couple, two in the morning, yeah, it'll do it to you, push you over the edge. Here's something interesting you may not have known about anime. In Chinese popular culture, it is often said that if a man's nose produces a small flow of blood, this signifies that he is experiencing sexual desire. This often appears in Chinese language in Hong Kong films as well as Japanese culture as well as in Japanese culture parodied in anime and manga. Characters, mostly males, will often be shown with a nosebleed if they have just seen someone nude or in little clothing, or if they have had an erotic thought or fantasy. This is based on the idea that a male's blood pressure will spike dramatically when aroused. No, I've seen this in anime, and I've seen also kind of the joke yeah, the, before, uh, but it's I've never seen it as blood. It's always been clear, like like a little drop coming out of the nose, and that's to signify that. But I never saw it as blood. I, know, I seem to remember something about like a, a manga thing, and it was kind of one of those jokey ones. Like it wasn't, it didn't take itself seriously, and some guy saw this like schoolgirl in an incredibly skimpy outfit and his he had like this fountain of blood <laughs> oh really come out yeah. of his nose like he had you kind of had that like his eyes were bugging out of his head and his hair was standing up on the end and blood goes coming out of his nose and he was kind of like ah and all the like the lines were shooting oh, yeah, out yeah, from yeah. Speed him lines. The speed lines were all shooting out and and I remember thinking it stuck with me because I thought it was really bizarre. But uh, <laughs> but now now I actually understand what it was all about. Mm -hmm. I thought it was like it was snot or something. I didn't yeah. know it was blood. I thought he was just like losing control of all of his <laughs> bodily functions. But now, so it wasn't Ebola. <laughs> yeah, is that a blood condition? That's no, a viral condition. It's a virus that uh, causes you to bleed to death out of all your orifices. Oh, how come we haven't talked about that yet? Because we're talking about it now. Oh, all, all in due time, my We've friend. Got, <laughs> it's the virus that's too efficient. Oh, well, if there's, if there's any such thing. Well, it burns itself out because infected people get sick so fast that it limits their ability to come into c contact with the healthy and keep oh. keep the epidemic going. Mm -hmm. I have something uh, in the pop art world. Okay. Oh, 1991 Mark McQuinn's self-portrait titled Self is a frozen sculpture of the artist's head made from 4.5 liters of his own blood. Taken from his body over a period of five months. Wow. This he first did in his late 20s in 1991 and continues to do it every five years. How does he... So he's got all these frozen bloodheads? The work is carefully that... maintained in a refrigeration unit, reminding the viewer of the fragility of existence. Uh -huh. The artist makes a new vision version of self every five years, each of which documents Quinn's own physical transformation and deterioration. 
uh, one of them was bought by Charles Sachi in 1991 for a reputed 13,000 pounds. In April 2005, another one was sold to, or maybe, or maybe the same one was sold to a U.S. collector for 1.5 million pounds That's for a, a frozen bloody head. How decadent is that, though? Like, we're blood banks are screaming out for <laughs> donations, and this motherfucker is like storing it and making a sculpture out of it and putting it on display. Well, it's his blood; possibly, he can do whatever he wants. With possibly it. on display in front of people who need blood donations. <laughs> you know, they're all scrabbling at the refrigeration. <laughs> <laughs> so we like know Joe weak. would be an angry blood god. <laughs> well, we know yeah. we know licking it like a bloodsicle would oh. work, right? <laughs> oh. I want his nose. <laughs> he probably has freezer burn. How, it wouldn't taste that good. How Not brain, like regular blood. How minds work differently because I didn't go there at all. I was thinking to myself, how does he get four liters of his own blood out of himself? Without it coagulating, like without it turning into, a, without it just turning into a scab head. Well, you'd store it in, with uh, heparin. Heparin, what is that? That's a, a drug. It's an anticoagulant yeah. drug that we use to uh, for patients who are lying in bed for a long time. They're at risk of uh, blood clots in their legs, which can then shoot up to your lung, causing what we call a pulmonary embolus, which is a big blood clot in your lung. So that can be fatal. And uh, we'll use heparin. How come every story you have about a blood disease goes, and that can be fatal? Blood's, uh, kind, of, blood's kind of important. Oh, I guess. I, oh, That's why yeah. you could call one of those critical organs. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just like, oh, Don Rob, it's a broken record over here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I, yeah, but it's the caustic soda record. I took, yeah. all, okay I took all the guy's blood out and he died. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew that could be fatal? Some kind of disease in the blood that stopped the normal functioning of the your, body and he th- died. Who knew? This could be your catchphrase. Man, and that could be that fatal. Could be fatal. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the, in, in, there's uh, your new ringtone, Torrin. There's your new ringtone to put on the website. The Dr. Robin, that could be fatal ringtone. <laughs> In World War II, actually, the uh, Japanese practiced vivisection on some prisoners of war. And vivisection is basically dissection of the living. Yes. Yeah. Including complete bloodletting of one U.S. pilot and replacing it with seawater. Oh, no! The patient did not survive the operation. <laughs> and that could be fatal. So would this, this artist would take his blood and put it into a solution of this stuff? Because he, he has to turn it into a sculptured head as well. Like, does he? I, I want to know: Does he freeze it in a block? Uh, uh, how does he get? Well, one assumes it out? just makes a cast of his head and yeah. then reverse. Yeah, you know, pours it reverse in. cast and pours then. It uh, in. Yeah, yeah, but he has like, to get four like and a half a liters mold. of it. Well, he takes out you know a liter a month for five months. Didn't you take sculpture in high school? I'm not very smart. I agree with you that he's wrong, but that's an odd question to ask, as though everybody has. <laughs> Didn't you take physics, chemistry, biology, and algebra in high school? No. (laughs) Yes. I suppose from some points of view, that's an odd question, too. (laughs) Funny part is, I took honors math 12 as one of my electives, and I've never used it. It had no practical application. Yeah, you should have taken a sculpture. You wouldn't know how to make a sculpture of your own head in blood, frozen blood. I think Kevin would have chosen a different bodily fluid. Oh, yeah. Take a little longer to build up five liters of it. I don't know. We can't possibly leave the pop culture section of a blood episode without talking, of course, about Brian De Palma's Carrie. I mean, the was picture it on pig's the, blood. It was, it was pig's, pig's blood, blood. that yeah. they dumbed on her head. At the, they they got her elected prom queen, but it was all a big gag. And they yeah. got her up on stage and put the crown on her. They're all gonna laugh at you. Yeah, and they dumped pig's blood on her, and that's when she went completely mental and torched the school and all, she everybody. Had pyrokinesis because she was a pyrokinetic and she lit everybody on fire. And then she went home and <laughs> killed her mother and burned the uh, the house to the ground. And yeah, yeah, all because of pig's blood. 
I mean, the picture on the cover Good, of the movie. Good, wholesome pig's blood. The poster for the movie yeah. was her covered in blood yeah. going mental, right? In her, in her palm yeah. dress. Spoiler alert. I mean, like, <laughs> here's the thing. Like, what a great poster. I mean, you're really kind of putting out there what people are g- going to get out of this film. I mean, there's you're getting a girl and you're getting blood and you're getting crazy. <laughs> well, it's, it's probably my favorite uh, abused psychic movie. <laughs> <laughs> is immediately recognizable as a genre. <laughs> abused psychic. I don't know. I've always been partial to Firestarter. Oh yeah, of course. It's my Drew favorite Barrymore. abused psychic movie. Yeah, yeah. And she was like an abused child as well. Yeah. So you know, you had the, the here we the, go. Uh, what Jeez. are they doing? Drunk amateur cauterization. You should have warned us that this was coming. <laughs> oh my god, that is horrifying. All right, so uh, we just watched a uh, YouTube video entitled "Drunk Amateur Cauterization." in which somebody heated up a spoon on an oven element, then <laughs> the friend cut his hand, and they pressed the uh, raging hot spoon against the wound, and it left this white <laughs> burn. burn. When would you cauterize a wound? You wouldn't. Right. Oh, tell us wait, more wait, about yeah, that. Wait, what's wrong with cauterization? What about all those lasers I got? What about what? Hey, lightsabers? Me, hold on. If Hollywood <laughs> has taught me anything... <laughs> It's that cauterization is a good thing. Surgeons will use electrocautery as they're working their way down to a surgical site, a scalpel or electrocautery, just to zap all the little vein ends as they're, they're oh. waking, making their way through the skin and the fat. Mm-hmm. Um, so or, it doesn't all bleed into the area you're trying to work into? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you have a, clean, a cleaner field and less blood loss. Um, certain types of cautery can be used for nosebleeds, and that's using uh, sort of a silver nitrate compound that's on the end of what looks like a long Q-tip, and you sort of put it in and hold it up against the bleed. But uh, generally speaking... Taking a hot metal thing and poking it into an open wound isn't a good idea? Not a great idea. Well, what about... But say say you're, you're a cowboy. Or a hemophiliac? What or if you're a hemophiliac cowboy? <laughs> if you're a hemophiliac cowboy... That's a bad cowboy, choice of work. It's a bad choice of <laughs> occupations for a hemophiliac. My spurs! And if you're riding around and, you know, you get uh, gored by a bull or something <laughs> and you have a... You know, a hole in your side and it's bleeding profusely. You know, it's not not a good idea to to heat up a spur and stick it in there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't I have branding irons ready to go. <laughs> I mean, yeah. sure, I suppose you could come up with a scenario, and that might be one where emergency cauterization might make sense. But right. uh, generally speaking, direct pressure, nine one one, and don't uh, tourniquet head wounds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but I got no response to that.